0: If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, and don't settle. Yo,
1: know, this is Houston, we're coming. Uh, uh, everything is going. We
0: shall uh, fight on the
1: beaches and in the streets. Uh, we shall never surrender. I'm in it just to rewrite history, cause I'm in the mood to label us the leaders of the leaders of the new school. This ain't for the radio, can't find this on YouTube. This the type of
0: killing that these critics say. you to. You're
1: a group of happy rebels. You've said no to the rules of
0: the game and the regulations of the day. You've said no to the conventional wisdom. You're all originals. Hey, good morning, everyone. We're here today with Casey Scott. Everybody knows him around as the morning guy on local news stations here in Utah. We're going to pick his brain today on how he overcame adversity. Don't forget to subscribe at the bottom if you like us, if you love us, tell us. If you don't, tell us. We'll do all we can to make a better experience for all of you. Welcome to 90 Proof Podcast. So right now, everybody, this is Casey Scott. We don't know each other very well other than for the last
1: two years we've been going to the gym. Yeah, I see you walking around, moving weight from side to side. and <laughs> you know, Really not taking it serious. Yeah, but the first time we actually had a conversation, uh, you came up and we were just kind of just talking. And you mentioned something about my shirt. And I said, I like a free shirt. Yeah. The next day you showed up and you had free shirts for me. I had free shirts, that's yeah. right. Well, my concern was is like, I know
0: this guy, he's a firefighter because you're always clean shaven. You're right. And I'm like, where did I, I think I might have taught ACL. Less, I'm like, which department do you work for? Because I, I couldn't put it together. Like, you have that familiar face, of course, from the uh-huh. past. But then you'd wear a Lehigh fire shirt all the time. I'm like, well, if he
1: works at Lehigh, why is he living in Ogden? So it was kind of really messing with my brain. And truth be told, I'm just a fan of a free shirt. And uh, <laughs> in a previous lifetime, I, did a, I was a reporter for a local TV station. Yeah. And everywhere I went, people always gave me free shirts. And so uh, I was just a big fan of the free shirt. Small story on the side of that is when I first got married, I mean, I had so many free shirts. And one time I went to work and I came back and I look at this homeless guy going through this dumpster and he's pulling out all these T-shirts from the dumpster and he's making a piles of T-shirts he wants and T-shirts he doesn't want. And all of a sudden I stopped. I go, wait, those are my shirts. (laughs) And my, ex, my ex-wife at the time had cleaned out my closet. So I went over to him and I was like, hey, what's going on? He goes, well, I'm just picking the shirts I want. And I go, hey, look, man, if you're going to take any of my shirts, you're taking all of my shirts. I'm not going to have a shirt that a homeless <laughs> guy doesn't out. want. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. come on, man. you got to take them all just for me, man. Please. <laughs> They're picking through. There's even stuff you, that it, the homeless people don't want. Yeah, I was like, man, that's not good. <laughs> that's great. That's not good.
0: No, that's my my shirts. My wife was going through our closet the other day because they have a tendency to just never get cleaned out, at least on the man's side. Right. Right. She's like, do you, realize you had this shirt when I met you and we've been together 20 years and I'm like I still
1: wear it like yeah it's a t-shirt it's a good t-shirt guys don't throw away t-shirts no no they're they're hard to come by well I think because there's uh memories that are associated with those shirts you know what I mean and and you go hey man this was this is back when my hair was really long and cool or this is (laughs) when I was skinnier or you know what I mean it just it evokes a certain feeling and and I I I just I'm a hoarder I really am I'm a hoarder So what's this podcast about? What are we talking about? So right now, this
0: is going to be a a little bit different. I don't do any scripting ever because I I think it takes some of the feeling out of it, at Mm -hmm. least for my my sense. And it doesn't seem like you do. I've been watching some of your stuff, podcast or it's Project Recovery, and it's been really interesting. You have a great story, and on our side, we're doing one. It's right, project recovery, that's correct, right, yeah, yep, so I, for a second, you look no no, no, like, Whoa, no, did I say it wrong? I'm just into it, so you are very into it, and it's extremely good every week, I've been listening to them more and more frequently, trying to just get to know you really more on that side, and then I've really found myself engaged, and I fortunately have never had really an addiction when it comes to substance, other addictions, and have many other problems, right, but never had a substance hurdle like i I have it here, we have alcohol on the table, and it's not because it's about alcohol,' It's my thirteen year old daughter said, uh, you know what alcohol, uh, when you're drunk, drunk words are sober thoughts. And she goes, if you could get people to talk like they were drunk, this is my 13 year old. I'm like, how do you know this stuff? She goes, no, but that's what I heard. And I says, well, you know what? That really makes sense. And I want to get to deep conversation, deep enough to where people loosen up slightly. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's the idea behind it. No.
1: You know? and, and you know what? It makes sense. And, and i I remember uh, when I first started drinking, uh, you know, I had this thing. It was called uh, alcohol courage. You know, it would give me the courage to do things that I normally wouldn't do, and it really served me well for a while until it was making me do things that I normally wouldn't do. Yeah, double side. Does that make sense? Of, yeah, you know what 100%. I mean. And I- alcohol worked for me until it didn't. Uh, I- I'm a very forward thinking person in recovery. I don't mind having alcohol on the table. I DJ parties where alcohol is involved because I've got the problem with alcohol. They don't, you know what I mean? And sure. so I never wanted, I remember when I, right when I got out of rehab, I'm calling my mom and uh, she goes, Hey, we're not going to have alcohol at the family parties anymore. And I go, well, I, well, I appreciate that, but I don't want it to be different. I didn't want to show up to a party and go, hey, this isn't the real party we'd have, but unfortunately our alcoholic son's here, and we're not going to be able to live our lives the way we want to. No, I want you to live your life the way you want to, the way you feel you need to. Don't change it because of me. I'm the one with the problem, and I had to live – I had to figure out how to live in a world where alcohol is still available. We are in recovery, and they do these things called process groups, and all of a sudden you're sitting down in a circle with 16 people who all have an addiction problem, a substance abuse problem. And this one dude was like, hey, I can't go to Pioneer Park, which is a local park here in Utah, because that's where I scored my heroin. Right. And he said, I can't go here because that's where I scored my heroin. And I go, well, I, that doesn't really hold water with me, buddy. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, because when we're done with this process group meeting. Pioneer Park's still there. It's Pioneer Park's still there. But we're all going to get in a van, 16 of us, and they're going to take us to my dealer, which is the gas station. Um, and I've got to be able to, and I go Maverick. to Maverick. Maverick, it was <laughs> Maverick, yeah. And yeah, right. I got to go to s- grocery stores. I got to go to restaurants where alcohol is all prevalent and all accessible. So uh, if all you taught me to do is take a left turn anytime there's alcohol, we didn't fix the problem of why I was drinking. I remember sitting in recovery, and my therapist goes, "Hey, do you want me to blow your mind?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah
0: every day. I'm in rehab. <laughs> yeah, let's let's
1: blow my mind." And he goes, "Drinking's not your problem." And I go. I'm pretty sure drinking is my problem. That's why I'm in rehab. I'm an alcoholic. And and Yeah. And he goes, no, your problems are your problems. Drinking is your solution to your problems. And that made me really think about it because although drinking towards the end was the problem because I couldn't control it. One was too many and a thousand was never enough. Drinking was my problem at the very end. But drinking was the way – To solve my problems in the beginning, Mm -hmm. if I was feeling lonely, if I was just, whatever was going on, alcohol just. That was the solution. It was the solution. Right. And so that's what, so I had to do some self inventory. I had to do a deep dive on myself and figure out who I am and what I want to be. And I remember when I got in the accident and I hit a family and I could be in prison for the rest of my life. I could have killed some people. By the graces of God, I didn't. I knew at that point that I had to do something different. I had to change my life somehow. I tell people I was the CEO of Casey Scott for 45 years, and we had some good years. We had some really good years, Mm -hmm. and we had some really bad years. And at that point, when I got in the accident and they pulled me out of the car and there was blood streaming down my face and everything was going bad, I knew that I couldn't do it anymore. It was time to let somebody else take the reins. Take the reins. Let's see what we can do under some new leadership. Let's, mm-hmm. let's change some stuff up. And that's when I really figured out who I was and what I wanted to do. And it's that's been awesome. pretty cool. That's a perfect lead into where I'm at. So the next piece, trauma to triumph. Mm-hmm.
0: That's kind of what we like to cover here. We have chiefs and firefighters and individuals and people that have had really traumatic experiences in their lives and have been able to take those traumatic experiences and turn them into something incredible, right? And what the irony was, I see you at the gym every day, and I'm just going to say, I, I totally, I don't know, Casey. Casey, we've never had interactions in the past, Casey. Was at the gym every day. Mm-hmm. Like he's in there in the morning, and this is a dumb competitive thing. And I'm just going to be honest with you, um, as dumb as this sounds, you get in the morning, like, damn it, he beat me here again. Cause I mean, here's a fire dude yeah. in my head, uh-huh. right? Cause you got your fire shirts on. I'm like, oh gosh, what time's he getting here? Right? So I'm like, get in here, and then I'll see, okay, how long is he going on the treadmill? I got to go five minutes longer. So you were like this checkpoint. Right. Like this fire dude over here, you in mm-hmm. my head and me had to sit there and start battling. Right. And then as I've watched, and you don't, you're really persistent and you're really scheduled and you're pretty disciplined. Mm-hmm. Just like me. Not quite. <laughs> right. I try really hard to be good at it. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of excuses every day why I don't make it. In the meantime, you, you've been, a, I've been able to watch from the side and you just have this ability, a unique ability to light up a room out of nowhere. Which is odd. Not very many people can do that. Well, I
1: appreciate that, and, and and my whole life it it it's been a gift. It really has, and and I really enjoy making people laugh and having a good time. And I figure we're all there. We might as well at least have a good time. And so I listen to music and I, and I smile. Gym, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, how is he happy? Why is he happy here? Because you you want to know why I'm happy? Because I've lost it all. Yeah, I've lost it all. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I know. What it takes to get to where I'm at. And I go, look, I'm not going to take it for granted anymore. I'm not going to do it. Because I lived a pretty charmed life up until that point where I got in the accident. Five seconds, huh? Everything just seemed to work out for Casey. Everything came up Casey. And one point it didn't. And I remember sitting there going, this is it. I've worked my whole life to get here, and this is how it ends. And that's when I dug deep, and I was like, "This is not how it this ends. Where it begins. This is where it begins. Where it starts. You know. And in recovery, there's a bunch of sayings, and they sound silly, but if you strip them down to their essence, they really are meaningful. Like, if nothing changes, nothing changes. It's true. You know. That, and but that's the thing is that I kept doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different outcomes. Like I would, you know, and that was with my drinking. I was like, but i never stopped drinking. And I always thought that it would get better. I can be a better drinker tomorrow. I would. Or <laughs> right. I, would, I would do something stupid. i go, okay, well, I learned from that. I'm not going to do that again. Won't be drinking vodka tomorrow. Yeah. We're going with bourbon her yeah. vice or vice versa. Or whatever it was. But mm. I never changed anything. And so the one that really struck home to me was make your mess your message. Wow. And my mess was this accident. And at one point... My daughter's a, a junior at a, a high school. She's walking around, and my mugshot's on everybody's phones. And three years before that, my daughter was way cool because her dad was the guy who was on TV, and he was the guy that got concert tickets. He was the guy that could take them anywhere they wanted to go. If he wanted to figure out how to do it, I could make it happen. I could just make it happen. And then after that accident, I was the plague. Nobody wanted to talk to me. Everyone was making fun of me, and rightfully so. And I deserved everything that I got. I really did. That's big. I mean, honestly, just to own it to that level. I mean, up. I but because I did. That, that's big. I mean, I'm sure I, you did. I, I I could have killed somebody. I could have taken someone's life. I could have seen my. And daughter. I've seen it a lot. Yeah. In in my you career, first I've responders, yep. you, you you've seen it. It's I so remember I was speaking <clears throat> at this uh, recovery conference, and this lady was sitting in the back. And she kept looking at me, and I kept looking at her, and I was like, you look familiar. And I kept doing my speech, and then afterwards, she goes, I just want to talk to you. And I go, yeah? And she goes, you don't remember me. And I go, I'm sorry, I don't. She goes, I was the first responder that pulled you out of the car. Mm -hmm. And you broke my heart. Oh, wow. Because I watched you for 15 years on TV. You got me out of dark places. You made me feel happy. You showed me there was good out there. And when I opened the door and saw that it was you, you broke my heart. Wow. That's deep. Right? When people get there, oh, they're yeah. heroes. They're
0: yeah. their they're, they're light. And then they see that, you know what? <clears> she throat> saw throat> that I was human. I right, she she's going to say that. Sometimes it's unfair. Yeah. Because even light has dark. Yeah. And even humans have problems, right? But Every she human.
1: goes... To see you up here talking about the benefits of recovery and changing your life and owning your mistake, I am so proud of you. Oh, yeah. And we sat there and hugged and cried. Well, yeah, you're pretty. She's the only one on the
0: planet that yeah. has that connection with you.
1: Yeah. And right. it, was, it was crazy because I would sit in these 12-step meetings and people would get up and they'd be like, I wouldn't wish this disease upon my worst enemy. But I wouldn't change the fact that I got it for anything. And I still don't know if I'm at that point yet, but it makes sense. People always go back and go, hey, if you could do it different, would you? And I always say, yeah. Well, of course. I I don't want to hurt anybody. If I didn't want to hurt anybody. But I don't know if I would be here today if things didn't happen the way they happened. Right. I don't know if I thought I would still be able to get away with it, if I was smarter than disease or whatever. Something else would have taken you. Something else would have taken me. Yeah and so
0: i lost my brother-in-law last summer uh he just quit drinking he was straight for a while he had he'd been clean and he got he went right back to the bottle tipped over hit his head in the kitchen so it, it, he ended up passing away right there so pretty bad deal there in ogden i lost my cousin the year before out of nowhere started drinking half a gallon of bourbon a day ended up going into mods which is multi-organ dysfunction syndrome and i uh, went to the hospital 160 pounds this was three summers ago i guess and uh, he left three hundred pounds because he, they'd given him so much fluid trying to turn it
1: on. But just a, and it came out of nowhere. I mean, this this alcoholic bite just got him. So that's why I started the podcast because I was in. Uh, so I did forty five days inpatient treatment where I lived in a rehab. Okay, and I recommend anybody who can get forty five days in a rehab without an addiction take it because it's amazing. Because Even without an addiction. I'm saying without an addiction. Just for a life problem. Just for life problems. (laughs) Go in there and talk to a therapist, figure out who you are. Life is so fast-paced. This was the first time in my life that at 45, I wasn't worried about my kids. I mean, I was worried about them, but that wasn't my goal because there was nothing I could do. I was in there just to figure out who I am and what I want and who I want to be. And so I was talking to a therapist. We were doing process groups and all this other stuff. But I was sitting in this group and... The real face of addiction isn't what you see on Law & Order or Pioneer Park, although that's really the face of addiction. It's – I was in there with first responders from up in Logan. I was there with moms up on the east bench in Salt Lake City. I was there guys that were bankers. Bishops. Bishops. presidents. That was the real face of addiction. But nobody talks about it until you're inducted into this fraternity that nobody wants to be a member of. And then all of a sudden you're in this fraternity and people are like, oh, yeah, we can help you out. I was like, well, why aren't we having this conversation out in the open? Why aren't we having this in the public? So that's why I was like, I'm just going to own this. That's the only way I can do this. I could have went and got a job selling cars, selling homes, doing something and, and, and kind of just disappeared and still had a wonderful life. But I didn't want to do that.
0: Well, that's not you. That's not me. No, you, you capitalize way better on this. And I don't even mean that in
1: the capital sense. I mean to benefit the world. That's what you've done. And so I was like, right? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to own this. I'm going to let everybody go along with the ride with me. Mm-hmm. And let's do this. And let's show people that recovery is possible. I've had some good days. I've had some bad days. But as of today, coming up on September 3rd, it'll be three years without any alcohol. Oh, wow. And that's, I never thought that was possible. I never bigger. thought a week would possible
0: really you get to that point yeah you're like i can't get even tomorrow let alone a week a week's crazy no so i want to add something you're in the you're in uh rehab with you said first responders and church goers and all that and here's the sad part with first responders like i did my career here as paramedic and fire and then there's emts here there's a lot of good people we get it we get we go into the churches and you have heroin overdoses in the stalls and here they are find out the release society president here it is the bishop and I, these are real calls no i know right here in, in I know. County, I, I, right I, I, they reach out to me all the time and you're like wait a second we just this is the bishop and you got a heroin right shooting up heroin well and we the progression's deep and you get to the point where you get really angry with these people as a as a first responder at times we had a great uh, in-service up at Ogden Regional about heroin and they talked about how it chemically changes the brain and how it kind of pro- progressively goes and and to be honest I when we'd get those calls, it, you know, it becomes infrequent flyers first. You're like, Oh, I saw Casey last month. Now I say I'm in two weeks and now it's this week and now it becomes every day. It becomes extremely progressive and then you have your frequent flyer. Mm-hmm. And then after that it goes away, right? It, it, one way or the other, it's going to go away. It's going to end two ways. <clears throat> it ends two ways. So unfortunately you get to the point, it's like, man, is this the day that it's going to be in and I can sleep all night. Right. And so you get this little bit of animosity and I'm trying, probably showing too much, but you, it gets exhausting. Right. So you, you become kind of an enemy of not just the substance, but the person. And I don't mean physically on the outside, but on the inside, you're, you're bed, you're uh, bedding and fighting this mental demon. That's like, God, I wish you would just freaking be done. One way or the other, just make it this the last act to wake up to in the morning because this guy doesn't know how to drink or he doesn't know how to use drugs. Like, this is too much. And then you can't talk to anybody about it, right? Because we have HIPAA. There's yeah. no conversations. And it's really hard to not say, like, dude, listen, that freaking bishop that's telling me to come in and I haven't paid my tithing and I'm not being a great guy is over here. And I'm pumping him up off the ground on the bathroom floor. Yeah. And then... Here, so you have these internal battles that you're going back and forth with. They have to just shut up and keep quiet, right? And so you see a lot of depression and post-traumatic stress in the fire service, in the police service, but there's so much you have to keep quiet about. And then that so much of life is fake. Oh, yeah. When you get to go behind the curtains of people's front, you know, beautiful front yard, what do they say? Your front yard's who you want to be and your backyard's who you are. Yeah. Right. Well, once you cross through that front door, maybe the most beautiful front yard you've ever seen. And then you can sense the demons, right? And, And then you just have to shut up. And you just have to say, hey, whatever's being said is real. and We're just going to deal with it this way. So really quick, uh, I wanted to go back and say, you know, for us, you've been able to take this, regardless of your addiction stuff and all the things. The biggest hurdle people try to figure out is how do I get out of this kind of bottom line, right, where I'm at at the very bottom? You know, and for me, my bottom wasn't alcohol related, but I had another business that was doing storage sheds and I sold to Home Depot and I was 21, made a lot of money early. Went completely broken. I lived in my car for a year. Well, when all your friends, and you can relate to this, or, or, hey Casey, can you give me a concert ticket? Hey Casey, you're really important until you're not. Yeah. Right? All of a sudden you go to rehab, you're no nobody's calling you for stuff anymore because you're not needed. Well, before we'd go to Mardi Gras, we'd go to every party you'd want to across the country. And everybody wanted to come, and I'd always have people calling, right? Because I paid for everything. It was no big deal. Yeah. I was young, dumb, and thought I had a lot more money than I did. I was just using accounts payable money, probably. you know. And and all of a sudden, that goes away. So you find yourself alone in a car. And I lived in it for one straight year exactly because I figured I better do this because I need to learn something and I can do anything for a year. Sure. As dumb as that sounds, no, you I become your worst enemy because I can't afford a cell phone. So six months of not being able to talk to anybody but the gas station attendant right? You get to this really bottom level. And first for the, at least for me, the first six months was ultra hate for myself. Like I wanted everything I could do. I, it was took everything I could do to knock you myself, but I felt like that was just a huge opportunity. Like I just need to end this whole bull crap deal. Like, and, and that was the constant in my head. Like, just be done. No, one's even going to know Here you are in the middle of a car in rock Springs, Wyoming. No one's going to give two shits if you do it. And and then it was like at the six month marker, it was almost like a light switch. I became my own best friend. Like I enjoyed the heck out of my own company. I didn't mind singing along on the, you know, to the radio, having a good time. I started hauling trailers for the RV manufacturers all over the country with my pickup. And uh, it was a weird dynamic shift, right? And at that point, I thought, you know what? Now I can get out of my car. <clears throat> so I, But I didn't. I stayed six more months. After feeling like I wasn't as big of a loser as I thought that, you know what? I did take a chance and you know what? I did lose and that's okay. Losing is the best way to recognize winning, right? You have to hit bottom to know that you're winning at all. Otherwise, if you're going to pull a Britney Spears and always win, then when you do fall, it's really bad. And it sounds like you've always won for a long time. Yeah. And at 45, you tip over. Yeah. Right. And now you're, this fall is huge. So out here with my, my young leaders that I, I work with, I'm like, look, look for failure every day. You'll learn more from your
1: failures than you will your success. Every day. day.
0: Yeah, Find them every day. So if you find a failure and you can fail and fall, the fall's way smaller. Because you did it today and you did it yesterday and you did it the day before. But if you're going to just win every day and not look for losses, and here you are a year or two later, guess what that fall looks like? That's a a pretty big cliff, right? And then you're at the bottom and you don't know if you can recover. My dad said it's
1: only stupid if you do it twice. That's true, too. If you do it twice, you can't get mad at the first time. But the second time. But, I mean, but everybody messes up, and I, and I think that's what it is. And, you know, for me, um, I had a choice. And for the first six months, I was mad at myself like you living in your car. I can't believe that I did this. I can't believe that I put myself in this situation. I'm smarter than this. I should know better. I was raised better and all this other stuff. And then you, what you do is you forgive yourself. Because that's the important thing. Because everybody makes mistakes. What was the switch that helped you
0: forgive yourself? Like what was that magic button or even not magic? Maybe there was that – what was your dynamic transfer, trans, I guess? What am I looking for? Transition. I, you know, it,
1: right? you know, so in recovery, everybody talks about a rock bottom. And everyone's rock bottom looks different. You losing all that money could have been your rock bottom. Me losing a couple jobs on TV because of drinking could have been my rock bottom. And it should have been a rock bottom, but it wasn't deep enough for me. And so it was the accident that all of a sudden went, wait a minute. I am completely out of control. I'm not only harming myself, I'm putting other people at risk. Uh, I've got three beautiful children. Uh, I've lost an ex-wife because of this. And... This is not how my story ends. And although I did do those things, I've got to own them. I've got to own them. I can't Mm -hmm. act like they didn't happen. Because if I act like they didn't happen, I'm doomed to repeat them. And you didn't learn. I didn't learn. Right. So I've got to sit in my shit. And that's the hardest thing to do for a man is to sit in there and go, you know what? You deserve this. Take it. And it will go away. But you need to feel this pain. You need to feel this burn. So you don't want to do it again. I think that's a great way to put it, actually. You have to sit in your own shit for a
0: while. You do. We don't want to. Like, when we mess up, we're like, oh, shoot, i got to get out of here. It's going to clean up the mess.
1: Oh, yeah. As a parent, as anybody, (laughs) you're always looking for someone else to deflect that to and go, hey, this wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. But the reality was, in my life, I was the one constant. And so I couldn't blame it on my ex-wife. I couldn't blame it on the church. I couldn't blame it on my work for doing all this stuff. And all those were contributing factors, sure. Mm -hmm. But I was the constant. The only thing I can deal with is the information is how to deal with it. You give it to me and how I react. So I've got to go, you know what? I was the one constant, and I'm not perfect, and everything doesn't come up, Casey, and you're going to have to dig deep, and this is going to suck. Trust me, I didn't want to go to the gym every morning, but I knew I had to because I needed to get back in a routine. I needed to do something physically for myself. I needed to get myself out of the negative headspace that I was in, and that seemed to work for me. I like going to the gym because it's the time I on the 30 minutes I do on the treadmill, I get up in my head, and I sort out the day. I go, okay, what are we going to do? And then I get out there and I do something physical with my body that makes me feel good and makes me feel alive. I tell my kids every day, I go, do something that scares you. They go, why? I go, so you know you're alive. <laughs> so you know you're alive. <laughs> so you know you're alive. Don't go through just to be in a safe eddy. You yeah, know, what take I mean? a risk. Take a risk. Take you've a got risk. To, you've got to do it. And not everyone's going to succeed, but I'd, I'd rather try than not. Right.
0: So I'll tell you my dynamic. When I, when I almost did it, like I, I, I told the story earlier in a different podcast. But I end up on a mountain with a 44 mag in my mouth and this strange guy, a friend of mine. But again, it was one of my friend's friends, the guy that was always better than you, yeah. that you just couldn't be better than. Yeah. And so, as a person, even through junior high and high school, I'm like, Ugh, I don't like this guy. I guess we're going to hang out with him, but he always makes me feel lesser. And so, to have that guy find me, not just one day, but the next day when I went to the lake bottom to do the same thing and the same guy at two in the morning finds me from the top of dead man's curve up and bountiful. That's crazy. And then down at the lake. And then I got in the truck and then kid rocks. God knows only God knows why song Love comes it. on. Yeah. Right. Love it. That. So I was on antidepressants at the time, threw it all out and it was right then that was my light switch. I'm like, It's not my time. There's no way that this dude that I don't like that has every ability to hold this weight over my head internally for me is the one that finds me two days in a row. And then that song comes on as, as unique and weird as that may sound. I'm like, Hey, that's not, that's my switch. So when I say, what was your transitional phase? What was, was your sitting on the asphalt by the car going, that's it?
1: No. So I, I, I talk about it on my podcast. Um, I was handcuffed to a gurney in a hospital With two police officers at the front door. Um, And I looked over and there was a napkin holder on the wall. One of those shiny metal ones. Mm -hmm. And I look in and I can see myself in the reflection. And I don't recognize the person I'm seeing. I'd become somebody that I couldn't even recognize. And that scared me more than anything in this world. That's scary. And I went, yeah. that's not you. How did we get there? But more importantly, how do we get away from there? So I did whatever was asked of me. When I went into recovery, I so a lot of people go into recovery and they go, I'm here for 30 days. And so, then I'll be out. I'm out. And I was there for 45 and my therapist on the 40th day goes, how come you haven't asked how long you're going to be here? I said, because I figured you guys would tell me when I'm done. I didn't want to come in here with a preconceived notion of how long I was going to spend and what boxes I needed to check. Whatever you guys told me to do, I was going to do. Because once again, I was the CEO of my company, and this is where we ended up. So let's let somebody else run it for a bit. So how do you find the humility to
0: be able to Admit that to yourself and be okay with the persona that you have. I mean, now looking back, of course, I've seen on TV for years, but I just making those dots, right? When I finally figured it out, but that's a persona that we feel like, and again, this is all internalized, right? We feel like we owe communities or other people something. Right. At the end of the day, they have this felicity of who who we really are. Yeah. Right. And then we have this piece that who we really are. So how do you become a, or find peace at becoming who we really are and not really
1: giving two shits what the other people think of who you are? Um, that's hard. My decision was made for me because I ostracized myself from the community. I put people at risk and people didn't want anything to do with me. So I had a choice. I could either hide or just go, this is it, and you guys don't know me because I didn't know me, and I'm going to figure out who it is. And when I'm ready to show you who I am, you can either come on board or not. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me because it's not going to affect how my day goes. I've got three beautiful kids that i got to provide for every day. I got a girlfriend who loves me, and i got parents. And so I don't owe you anything. No, you don't. I don't, I don't owe you anything. I think you're and just... if I want to make you laugh, I'm going to make you laugh. But I don't, I, I don't owe you anything. Yeah. I, I, and that sounds shitty and selfish, no, it's not. but it's I not. don't, I don't owe, I don't owe you anything.
0: I think you're discrediting yourself a little in the sense where you said the choice was made for me. It's not, it's not ever made for you. You had to do it.
1: Yeah. You had to take that choice. It's yours. But there's a lot of people who, you know, like, I mean, I, I'll look at the, the tabloids and, and see people falling from grace. And you look at some of the Rob Lowe is in recovery and he had a scandal and he decided he didn't want to be a, an alcoholic a sex addict anymore. So he changed his life. You got Robert Downey Jr. who, you know, was in prison and now is – Look at him. Yeah. The top of the line. And so – and I think he started doing it for himself and that's what I decided to do. When I was on TV and I did everything, I did everything for a laugh. I did everything to make you laugh and have a good time because that's what I thought my job was. And it was part of my job. But I sacrificed relationships in my life – for your you. own mental health and my own mental health mm. for people who I didn't even know I would go out of my way to make you happy and I would hurt the people closest to me because I thought that's what I was supposed to do because I was supposed to make you happy. My mm. job's not to make you happy. If I can make you happy, that's great. But my job's not to make you happy. Right. And that's when I I figured that out. I was like, no, my job's not to make anybody happy. My job is to make me you happy, happy first, and provide for my kids and my family. And if everybody else gets to have fun along the way, great.
0: It's kind of a like a perverted inversion, right? You look at John Candy, and you look at Robin Williams, and you look at all the uh, what's the other guy? Big. Chris Farley. Chris Farley, right? They sacrificed their own mental health because they worked so hard to make us laugh. And and we, on the outside, love them. But do we really love them? because we don't know who they really are no who they really are is really sad at home trying to figure out better ways to make us happy and i think in retrospect for me i'd much rather let them be happy than make me happy
1: and and, and see that that's the thing is is they're afraid if they tell you who they really are you're not going to think they're funny anymore you're going to think they're sad they're just human so they just keep so (laughs) they pile on the drugs they pile on the alcohol and they give you what you want and they dance monkey dance and that's what i'm here for because that's the only time you're happy is when i'm making Mm. you laugh and in Inside, I'm crying. I mean, I, I would sit there and I would do morning shows on TV and I'd go out and I'd go to the gas station and they'd go, hey, you were really funny this morning. Love it. And then I'd go home sitting in an empty house because they just got divorced, seeing my kids 50 percent of the time thinking, I don't feel funny. I don't feel happy. Right. And then I would go to bed and I'd wake up in the morning and my boss would be like, well, make sure you're funny. Okay. I'll be funny again. Yeah, even though I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm 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 dying inside. I'm dying inside.
0: Do you know where that transition occurred? Where you went from? I love my job. I love my life. I love my wife and my kids and everything I do is every is is what I love the most. And then all of a sudden, you find this sacrificial step down to where you find yourself only working for people and not working for you and your family. Do you remember? How no, that looked? I mean, or was it just progressive? I,
1: I mean, it was just progressive. I mean, I still loved the job. I still loved what I, I did. And, and and fortunately, I get to do it now with the podcast and, and going out and speaking in events. I, I like entertaining people. and I like talking. I like sharing a message. But it was it was. I became a character of myself, and that character became more important than who I really was. And it was sad. It was really sad. Like uh, my ex-wife used to say – We'd be at the grocery store, and somebody would come up to her, and she'd be like, oh, it's got to be so fun living with Casey. I bet you're just laughing all the time. I bet this is amazing. And she's like <laughs> – And she's like – and every once in a while, she'd be honest. And she goes, no. <laughs> you, you get the fun part. You get the fun, Casey. We get the tired Casey, the guy that goes to bed at 9 o'clock that doesn't want to talk because he's been talking all morning. No, it's, it's not great. It's not awesome. You all get the fun, Casey, and we get what's left over. And that's sad. Yeah, that's hard to swallow, huh? You know what I mean? And I remember my dad, because my dad was in TV and radio, and he was like, you'll figure it out. He goes, but he goes, because my dad would be like, if I want to be funny, I'll be funny. And someone's paying me to be funny, I'll be funny. But I don't feel like I've got to walk into a room and entertain everybody just because you expect it. Right. And that's where it's tough. That's where it's tough. Because I never wanted somebody to walk away and go, hey, man, I met Casey and Smith, and guess what? He wasn't funny. He didn't even make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, you're like hey, and I, hey, go, damn I was that. just shopping for Pop Tarts, man. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't here to make you laugh. Yeah, I just, you know what I mean, Pop Tarts and milk. <laughs> I was getting Pop Tarts and tampons. <laughs> yeah, you know right. what I mean? I, I don't, I, I don't, you know. And that's hard
0: enough to choose anyway. Yeah, which you know what which I mean. Uh, is it yeah, it's
1: like oh, I don't know. Is it a mini? I don't know what's going on. I, but that's, Those were the worst days, let's oh yeah. be honest. I'm yeah. like, Shannon, do I really have to do this? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the thing, is, and, and, and I try to figure it out, but through this podcast, I've realized that everybody is human. And fortunately, we live in a society now with social media where everybody puts their best foot forward all the time. And it's like, if you're not doing something spectacular, then you're not doing something. But the best moments are really in the mundane, and you know what I mean? And it's when you're sitting on the couch and I'm, I'm hang, watching my – hugging my daughter, watching eating TV, some eating some popcorn, you know what yeah. I mean? And just laughing, you know, that's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. There's, There's just... no memories in our phone. No. You know I mean? Yeah. There is Facebook memories, but
0: how do you build memories there? Yeah. It's just impossible. It's one pixel deep. Yeah. There's no depth. You have a lot of pixels wide, whatever. Right. But you have nothing in it.
1: Well, I mean it's like we this search podcast. for it. It's this podcast right here. You've got three cameras focusing on us right now. But if you took yeah. a whole picture, you would see a guy back there with headphones on, trying to figure out if this is going good. You've got stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, light, sounds everywhere. Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's the big picture. And we get so focused on just what's in front of us that we miss life. And I think that's really what this second chance has given me, is life. It's given me a chance at life and really living and being authentic and being in the moment. I tell a story on the the podcast my son was turning two and we we're having a big party at the house you know we had alligators come turtles oh, well, and all yeah, this real stuff party. and tarantulas and all this stuff and right before the party started i go i gotta go to the store honey and she was okay i gotta get some stuff for the party and i came back and i had two cases of beer for a two-year-old party that's exactly what my ex-wife says she goes, what's that for i go it's for the party she goes your son's two
0: he doesn't drink anymore
1: who's the, yeah, yeah who's the party for and i was checking all the boxes but i wasn't there I wasn't enjoying the moment. I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being present. And that's what recovery has really given me is being present and experiencing these conversations and authentic conversations and genuine friendships and stuff that, that mean the world to me. When I was in recovery, there was guys going, hey, I got to get all new friends because all my friends I used to drink with or use Just with. learn how to have them different. And I didn't have to get new friends. None of my friends have ever since I've been sober three years now, I've never said, hey, you want a beer? Because they know it's not good for you there. They They won't do it. My friends are happy that I'm sober because mm. they can hang out with me again. Because towards the end, I was a hurricane, and they would go like, "Hey, we can't go out with you, man. You just get us too drunk, or our wives aren't happy about it. This is this is not fun." And so I didn't have to get new friends, and I have great friends, and I have great people around me. Do you think that people say they need new friends because they're trying to find blame and excuses? Do you sure. think that's where it comes down. Sure, I, th- I think there's some <laughs> of that, and, and some. I mean, there was probably legitimate too. I mean, the, towards the end, I was hanging out with people I normally wouldn't hang out with. Because because they were cool with what I was doing to myself.
0: Which aren't friends.
1: Which aren't friends. Yeah, those aren't friends. Because my friends were like, uh uh-uh, uh. And I'm no, not coming with you, brother. We're not no, I'm, I'm not I'm not co-signing this debauchery. Yeah, not this gonna is, do it. Not is, supporting you through it. No, you know, if you need help, call me. I'll give you a ride. Yeah, if you if you need something, I'm there. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna assist you in this suicide
0: isn't that crazy how we then at that point i'm sure you're frustrated with your friends because they don't want to go out with you yeah like are you're not even my friend you dickheads yeah and i felt that same way you're like who is this person then you look back and like man they just didn't want to walk down that path and they They just didn't know how to say no to me. I'm a grown man. Yeah. They can't hold me back, Uh -uh. but they can just not support me.
1: Yeah. Right. And So I put, I put a lot of people in unfair positions all the time, you know, where I'd either have you co-sign with me or come along for the ride or drive me or drive me, you know what I mean? And because, and they were just trying to do the best they could, but they were enabling me. I had a lot of people that were enabling me. Yeah, and I mean, it was just it's 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 not good. But now I, I, I wake up in the morning, I go to the gym and I've got the same 24 hours that everybody else does. And I just try to make it the best I can. Yeah, that's all you can do. Got a, I got a question for you. So
0: we pay for our guys here. Uh, we pay for rehab. If any of them have alcohol problems or drug problems yeah. or any issue, you're not going to lose your job over that here. We don't fire you for that. As long as you're honest with us right? You just need to talk to me. We've had to, we've had to let one person go that wasn't forthright. Like we ended up catching it in a heroin deal. And, yeah. and I said, just need to tell me, I, I, we'll put you in rehab. We'll pay for the 45 days or 30 days. I think they were 30. I says, we're happy to do this for you. Well, I'm, I want to do it. Like yeah. that'd be the best thing for our company and all of our employees. We have a good uh, profit sharing program. We give 10% of our profits back to the employees and then we do votes and say, Hey, we, you know, Casey needs help. Uh, this program is going to cost us fifteen, eighteen thousand um, $18,000. It'll be, it'll come out right out of net profits. Is everybody okay with a contribution into this? And they always are. I mean, they're not going to say no, let's be yeah. honest. Right. And, and I'm an advocate for it all the way. So I guess when I'm asking you, what is it that an employer can do in the right way to make sure that we don't demean that? Obviously that person has to be in the right space to be able to accept help. But, what what would you encourage? Is this, is this smart to just keep those employees working? No, to the, protect the, the, them the and keep them says insured. That it is okay that
1: it, it, it's better to retain your employees to get them better mentally, physically, and emotionally because you've already trained them. They know their job, and they're they're a part of the family. Uh, when I when I got in an accident, uh, KSL uh, kept me on insurance and paid for my rehab. And every three days I called KSL and I said, hey, HR, it's Casey. Just want to see if I got a job. They go, hey, just work on you right now. We'll talk when you're done. Okay, cool. You know, because they, they didn't want to stress me out while I was mm-hmm. in rehab because I was supposed to be just working on myself and figuring out what it was. But every three days I called HR. HR, Casey here. And when I got done after the 45 days, they said, why don't you come in and talk to us? Okay. So I go in there and I sit down and I'm in HR and – the president of Bonneville communications and they go, Hey, unfortunately because of your contract and what you've done, um, we're going to have to let you go. And I go, I get it. I mean, I, I messed up and I did it. And mm-hmm. I understand that. And then I pitched them on my other idea and they, they said, we're firing you and you're pitching us on another idea. I go, yeah, <laughs> That's, but I got to work. Super and so they, then they were cool and they did that. But my boss goes, you know, had you told us you had a problem You'd still be working here," he so said. "How do you go to your employer and tell him you're broken? you just go over there and say I'm human? Yeah, but 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 right. the era we grew up in—you didn't admit that. You didn't Ever. admit that. You, no, no. Right. You, you you're a dad. I'll figure it out. Rub some dirt on it. Walk it off. We're going to be okay. It doesn't matter what it takes, I'll I'll get the job done. And that's what I did. I burned the candle at both ends for too long that I couldn't fix it. I couldn't put this toy back together. Everybody had a favorite toy that you played with it so much that you broke it. Mm -hmm. That was drinking for me. I played with it so much that I broke it. Every once in a while, I could piece it together and get a couple more days out of it, but eventually that toy was going to break. It was done. So she says, you know, if you told me, we'd still be here. I go, I don't know how you do that. And I still don't know how, but I think companies now are more accepting to having these open conversations and going, hey, look, mentally, I'm not here. I'm not doing well. And you can take a mental day, and you should talk to a therapist, and you should get help because internalizing everything is not going to fix it. It's just going to drive you crazy. It's so beneficial to have someone else to bounce off ideas. So if you feel like you're struggling with alcohol, if you feel like you're struggling with substances, call HR. There's certain- And we have programs. Yeah, Employee F-MLA Assistance Act. Program, yeah, EAP. The, yeah, F-MLA. Federal, yeah, Federal Medical Leave Acts. And then they will hold it. And it, it is beneficial. <clears throat> and there is life after recovery. Cause like we talked about earlier, there's only two ways this ends.
0: Yeah. Either you fixed or dead. Yep. Fixed or dead.
1: And that's, and that's as simple as it gets. Cause no one can keep it going all the time. Eventually it will get you. It, uh, yeah. Period. Eventually it will get you. And I think that's where it comes from in the fire world. We've had
0: the opportunity and miss opportunity to see people in their worst days. Right. And, sometimes more than once in their own worst days.
1: I get so many people from first responders reaching out to me on Facebook who want to talk to somebody because they can't. When you think of ER, paramedics, fire, all those people, their every day is seeing people on their worst day. That's every day. And can you imagine that? Going home and then having to turn off that noise, having to see bad things happen to good people all the time. And then you lay down and you close your eyes and that's all you see. That's all you hear. That's got to be tough, man. And for
0: 16 bucks an hour. Yes. Right? I mean, let's let's be frank. And not that the money matters, but they're not doing it because of the money is the point. The no. point is that they're sacrificing their own mental health to make sure that your worst day is the best day that you could possibly have. Yes. Right. To be able to deliver what you can. So when I brought the, the, the experiences I had from the fire and EMS world, and then I brought it to my work environment, I said, you know what, I... I know that every single household behind that front door has its own problems Mm -hmm. because we've been in the most beautiful houses and the most rundown houses on the planet. Right. But the, the problems are close to the same. One may have more money than the other, but it's no less broken. No. Right. So uh, my idea was Murphy door has just under 80 people now here between here and Kentucky. And then we have some with our ladder and stuff, but we have a kind of a, a responsibility to our people. So we do lunches every other Friday where we bring everybody in and we talk about the benefits program. We talk about what they like at work, what they don't like to work. And this is Casey. He's not the dickhead in paint. Yeah. Right. We, this, let's get to know each other as a friend and family, kind of bring that fire brotherhood family into each other where we can laugh, joke and talk. And then I try to bring, it's like, man, I've had some issues. Like, how do we how, you know, this is kind of what I'm going through and I'm sure you guys all are. Remember we have employee assistance, we have vacation, we have sick leave, you have FMLA. I mean, my guys get a month off, two weeks paid vacation, week of sick, a week of holiday. And after five, they have three weeks. Then they have health insurance, dental vision, 401k, tuition reimbursement. I give them whole packages as best I can because I don't want to be responsible or not have been given, excuse me, what is the word I'm looking for? I want to make sure I've given you all the tools for success. Yeah. Right. So, people that work for Murphy door or Murphy ladder cannot say they haven't had the opportunity to go to college. We will pay a hundred percent of college. You just have to give me a B or higher. And if you're getting a C, then we're going to only participate at a C level. So we'll give you 50% of college. That's pretty good. So, Hey, listen, whatever it is you want to be, I don't care if you want to be underwater basket weaver, or you want to be a doctor. We're in, we're in. So you are giving the opportunity to do whatever it is that you want with you. Now that was one against my board. They all voted except for John Porter. When we brought it in, they're like, don't agree with that policy because it's not for Murphy Door. Mike, this world isn't for Murphy Door. Murphy Door's role and responsibility to the to the world is to deliver humans that are good people, good parents, good neighbors, good family members, good stewards to communities. And if it's not building Murphy Doors, that that's what they need to do, and it's because they wanted to be a newscaster – then that's what they should do. And let's help them get there while they're helping us build doors and deliver doors. Then we're going to help them get to where they're supposed to be. Right. That's our role. That's our, that's our social responsibility.
1: So you figured out what it took me so long to, uh, the opposite of addiction is an abstinence. The opposite of addiction is connection. And that's what you're doing with your employees is connecting with them, letting them be a part of something greater. And that's what it's all about. And that's what the world is all about, is the connection, having authentic, wonderful connections. And so if you can find those, your employees will work harder for you. They will do more for you. They won't just try to punch in and punch out because they see the greater goal that's going on there. And so that's what's so cool about a company like yours, is that you do care. And right now, with the pandemic and everything going, uh, the power is really in the employees now. It's it 100%. It, it really 100% is. It is. For, for, for the longest time growing up, it was you were lucky to work here. You're lucky to work here. But now... These companies are figuring out that they can't do the stuff without employees, and now the wages are going up, and people are trying to figure it out, and they're going, wait a minute. A good employee is valuable. And that's why it goes back to, is it better to fix them? Yes, it is. It is better. It is. You'll to get a find be- a
0: loyal person like that, you're going to get a 100% better job. You're,
1: you're going to get a better employee yep. if and they know you care and you have that connection with there
0: them. There was only one, and I can say we've probably assisted in six full-on uh, rehab program. so we spent a hundred grand probably easy. or so easy yeah, and I, I don't care about that yeah, yeah. but all I'm saying is we've invested heavy and there was one kid that came back, um, he probably won't care. his name was Dakota, and I love him like a little brother, right? He, he I feel even to this day when I see him it's a big hug at the grocery store. He came in and and bless his heart, he says, hey, Jeremy, listen. he goes, I, I don't think Murphy door is the best for me. The guy that I'm working with, is kind of the one that kind of pushes it. And, and I'm not trying to run him out and he's not guilty of it, but he just makes me think negative with the music he listens to and, and the stuff that's there. It just happens to spin me in there. He goes, I know you dumped all this money and I promise you'll pay me back. or I'll pay you back for these rehab things. But I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is never a payback deal. That is just us loving you first. Second, get the hell out of here. If that's what's hurting, do not come back here. That is a dangerous spot to play in. This is not where we want. We want you fixed. We want you to be a dad. He's got a beautiful daughter, right? You need to go be the dad, and then you need to go be the best you, whatever that looks like. And then if you need help from us, we're here. We're here. And you decide you want to come back, we're here too. But at the same time, if this is your problem and you feel like it's your problem forever, keep doing it. it. Get away from us and go find what's fixing you. And then we'll
1: be in the background just cheering you on. That's what we need from you, right? That's what the world needs right right now is more of that. You know what I mean? Is empathy, love, understanding, and compassion. If you can find those things, the world is going to be a better place. But right now, it's divisive. It's ugly. And it's just – there's so many bad things going on right Isn't now. It sad. It's a perfect storm for substance abuse and mental health. Uh, the guy I do the podcast with is Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. I really like you. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good talker, Very smart. To but that's – he goes, that's the next ep- uh, pandemic is mental health because people have been isolated. Um, I think it's here. It is. It's it, here. It, it is. I mean, and I, right. I I speak at recovery centers all over the state, and um, it's it's not good, and they're full. I want to address
0: one other thing we were talking yeah. about: the pay, right? You people struggle with pay, and you know, we obviously as in, as a company, we try to re you know hold our prices down at least to an achievable level. Murphy doors aren't cheap. They yeah. start, our average cost is around fifteen hundred and eighty bucks, right? Well, you have lumber that goes up, you have metal that goes up you have insurance that goes up rent goes up everything's going up across the board freight Mm -hmm. like a container for us has gone from three grand to 15 grand on the ladder side
1: yeah that's not a little bit it's 28 dollars a
0: ladder yeah right because we're bringing them in from china we're trying our best to get them domesticated i am an advocate for made in america but america isn't a huge fan of manufacturing yeah let's just be honest like we fought it with romney's office and herbert's office like we brought them all in and they're like "Mm, it's not sexy like, of course, it's not sexy. It's a ladder, but all I'm trying to do is bring American jobs here. We have a hundred Chinese people over there that I'd love to have Americans doing mm-hmm. right That'd be great. Well, we're not really in big in support of that, but let's go to the employee side. So our employees, you know, let's say twenty nineteen a packager here would make twelve fifty an hour, right? They're coming in taking hardware, putting it in a box, and then putting the Amazon logos and moving it down the path and now that same play player pays sixteen fifty ish. Right. And, and the thing is, is I got as an employer, it got stuck in this kind of negative mindset of like, well, I can't go up higher. That's crazy. 1250 to put stuff in a box. And then now they want 13 or 14. And then all of a sudden in and out burgers paying 1450
1: Mavericks, 18,
0: 18. Yeah. Right. So how do you, what do you do? So the only thing I had Don Blom, he's the vice president of sorts capital, or he was, I, I'm not sure if he's still in that role, but that big capital firm out in Provo. And he says, Jeremy, let me ask you a question. He says, so if you have we'll call it 30 people on the floor here in Salt Lake or Ogden, and you had to raise each person $4 an hour. Right. And I said, okay. I go, that's $120 an hour. Don, he goes, okay. He goes times that by eight. I'm like, okay, nine sixty. Right. He goes, so now you have 30 people going from 12 to $16 an hour. He says, are they going anywhere at the time? right? And I said, Oh, I'm sure not. He goes, okay. So let's say you just leave it where you're at. Where are they going? I go, well, they're all gone. He goes, okay. So one door, not even one door, one door will pay for all your guys raise. So let me ask you the next step. If we went to $20 an hour, would people be leaving or coming, coming, coming? Cause everybody else is paying 16. So now not only are your benefits in a place that are better than everybody else, but your, uh, your pay is better than anyone else. Now you are the desired place to work instead of the place that people want to leave. And it's that easy of a transition. So do you think if you're paying $20 an hour, you can expect, and I don't want to say the word demand, but you can explain to people, look, we need two days. We need two extra doors a day to make sure that we pay everybody's extra money that we went from 12 to 20. Right. Yeah. Do you think they'd understand that? And he goes, I guarantee you they'd understand it. Cause you could turn around and say, I need eight extra doors a day and you'll get it. Yeah, you'll get it. Yeah. So it was a weird dynamic shift. I'm like, wait a second. He goes, it's Listen. perspective. It's perspective. He goes, your equipment costs you this much and you're tripping over $120. Let's say if it's not just an hour, let's say it's a whole day. Cause it's a dollar or $2 an hour per person. You're freaking out over $120 an hour. You're like, you're deadlocked. And I was. I'm not I'm not moving. I'm like, yeah, well
1: then all your guys are gone. But that's what I told you the the, the power <laughs> dynamic has changed completely shifted. You know what I mean? And you get a good employee. I remember when I was on TV and I was going down in the Silicon Slopes and that's when they were booming and I was talking to this young man and I go, "Why did you pick this job?" He goes, "Well, cuz they let me come in my pajamas and they got a free food." And I was like, the that's your that's deciding one. factor, and I thought he would talk about you know benefits or holidays, the or company's whatever. plan. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was <laughs> like I believe in what they're doing. He's like no, I come in my jammies and they got free food. I was like, huh? And so I talked to the guy who was running. He goes, "That's what these kids want, so that's what we're going to give them. So they because they got the power because we need them. Yeah, and programmers are different. Let's let's. Yeah, be oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. have
0: one sitting right in here. Yeah, uh, no,
1: yeah. He'd but, be thrilled in this. So, pajamas. but it, it, it's crazy, and so I, you know. There, there's that saying, everything you need to know in life, you learned in kindergarten. And it's really true. Be a good person. <laughs> just you know? be nice to each other. Just, just be nice.
0: So, I mean, I know we're, we're running tight on time here in a second. I just I wanted to just say, for me, I, I want to find answers for people on, that are in the bottom, right? Because I've been there, you've been there, and I mean, different bottoms, right? Yeah. We're looking up different canyons yeah, completely yeah. and nowhere near comparative. And I don't think that's the goal. I think the end of the day is that we just want to, let people understand. It doesn't matter who you're looking at. They've been in the bottom or they're there right now. Yeah. Right. So be nice to the guy in front of you one, but, and for two, make sure you're lifting up the guy behind you Mm -hmm. where you can, but don't feel like you're alone. Right. And otherwise you end up further. So I I, the the concept here would be where is it that we can find an open line of communication and share and make sure that we feel confident and comfortable in reaching out and say, Hey, Casey, dude, uh do you have two seconds I can tell you my negatives and my bad things? What was it what is it that would if you were in retrospect, of course hindsight's always twenty twenty, but what makes it easier for us to, to tap on someone's shoulder and reach out to those?
1: You know, that, that's tough because I mean, that's what we fight every day. Uh, you know, in recovery, they say, love the addict, hate the disease. Uh, And sometimes that gets really blurry because an addict is going to do things that he normally wouldn't do to feed that addiction. Once the addict brain takes over, it's no longer Casey making decisions. It's that part of the brain that goes, I need this. I need this or I'm going to die. And that's what it truly feels like. There was times when I was drinking, it's like if I don't get three shots in me right now, I'm not going to get out of bed. I'm not going to be able to go down and make my kids breakfast. And that is sad and scary. But it's true. And so you've got to figure it out. But I get people that reach out to me all the time on Facebook and Instagram saying, hey, will you talk to my son? Will you talk to my husband? Will you talk to my wife? Yeah. And I go, yeah, but there's only one thing. Do they want to talk to me? If they want to talk to me, then I'll spend all day long talking to them.
0: And there's no magic shift to help people want to talk, is no, there?
1: No, 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 there's not. But people want me to talk to them for them, and they're not ready to hear the message. They don't want to hear it right now. So I simply say, hey, when you want help, know that I'm here. And it's all about setting boundaries. Boundaries are important for the addict and for the loved one of an addict because it's going to protect both sides. So you've right. got to go, hey, listen. I know you're going through some stuff. And when you're ready, I'm here for you. But I can no longer participate. I can't fund. I can't do any other stuff. And that's the nailing. That's where it gets tricky. So you're saying point it out. Yeah. I think that's important. Like hey
0: Casey. Hey, you're going through some shit.
1: Yeah, I mean when I I can see it. When I got sober, people come up to me and goes, Yeah, I smelled alcohol on you. And I thought I was getting away with it. I mean, I did. I thought, man, I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody ever says anything to me. And people, when I got sober, they're like, no, man, you stunk like shit. I was like, well, you didn't tell me. Well, no, because I don't know how to tell you. Yeah. Right? But if someone goes, hey, look, you smell like a brewery. What's going on? But no one ever said that. Yeah, they didn't know how. No. Because you're Casey, right? Yeah. It's and so, so I think you just go, hey, look, man, I understand you're going through some stuff. And when you're ready, I'm here. And I'll help you. At any time. At any time. Mm-hmm. Day or night. Give me a call. I'll pick up the phone, and I'll do whatever I can to help you. But you've got to want it. I remember sitting in recovery and my therapist, I sat down, and I'm a smooth talker. i got a silver tongue, man. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm going to wow this guy. I'm going to win. This therapist is going to be like, holy shit, I've never heard it this way. You're right. You don't have a problem. So I sit down, and I start talking to him, and he goes, I'm going to stop you right there. And I go, what? And he goes, listen, if you're going to lie to me for an hour, let's just not. Ooh, I got other shit to do. You're in here for an hour regardless, but I don't want you to lie to me for an hour. So I'll sit over here and do this. But when you want to get real, we can talk and we can do this. Here's what I'm going to tell you right now. I don't want your sobriety worse than you do. I don't want your sobriety worse than you do. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. Nope. He goes, he goes, he goes, Hey, look, he goes, cause at the end of this day, I'm going to go home to my kids and my life's okay. And I'm sober. Yeah. I'm sober. So when you want it, I will help you find it but i can't be the only one that cares and that's what happens a lot in the recovery world and it's parents, it's the parents and it's, that care it's, it's more than the person husbands its wives employers employers and all Dude, that i take stuff. it home yeah. it's hard for me Yeah, you, i you, take it home but but if he if they don't want it yeah it will never take you can get sober for 3 days you can get sober for a month you've to prove a point to somebody but unless you really want it it won't work that's not how the disease works it doesn't work. So you just say, hey, look, I'm here for you when you need it. But I can't no longer pay for this. I can't support it. I can't do any of these other things. And a lot of times we pay for it just to, so we can sleep at night. But in reality, you're really hurting the addict. So what about that parent? I've got a, another story here. One of probably
0: my favorite, best, biggest mentor in history was what a guy that worked for me. And then there were some family members that worked for me. And one of them had issues, right? And uh, it kind of caused some issues in the sand. And I kind of had to be a boss when there was obvious apparent flagrant issues happening. And the dad, the irony with that is he was a captain at a fire station. He had his career in paramedicine and I'm like, look, you, you know this, you can see it, but he was blind to this. So I'm not saying he's unlike any other parent. Yeah. Right. But I couldn't get him. I'm like, come on, man, like this, you know, this, he's not being honest with you. He's not being honest with myself. We can see, he's like, dude, he goes, I can't believe you're accusing him of this. I'm like, uh, but I'm not accusing him of it. Like it popped positive. Yeah. Right. And, and he just, he thought it was completely framework. And I I would never say that it was, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be the parent. Right. Yeah, so yeah. that being said, how do we talk to parents and say, look, it's really hard for them to separate the, the kid in the nest and then make him that transition. Is like, dude, I, you got to get out though.
1: Yeah. Cause Where it, is that? Nobody thinks that their kid's going to do it. Um, there's a group called the Al Anon, okay. and Al Anon is a way for loved ones of addicts to talk and figure out problems who have gone through this. And it's a great resource for parents who have been there and done that. And so you'll go there. It's just the opposite side of addiction, and they will help you in that because enabling is a huge problem in substance
0: abuse. I would say it's one of the bigger ones that I go to on calls. They're at parents' homes. Yeah. The parents refuse to see it. They will not. They're like, I don't know what's been going on with him. I'm like, "Uh, you don't? There's 9,000 beer cans. What don't you see?
1: So on my podcast, we had Sergeant Spencer Cannon. You ever work with him? I didn't listen to that podcast. He came home, and he found out his son was drunk with three kids in the car down at the end of the street. He drove up on it, saw it was his kid, and called the cops and said, you need to come arrest my son. And the cops were like, are you sure? And he goes, yep. He goes, it was the toughest thing I ever done because he could have made it gone away. He could have said it, oh, surely yeah. But he said, Nope, that's my son's not gonna learn. And that's not what I do. And that was three years yeah. that it took him to straighten out right yep. after yep. that. Yeah. That so, was a good one. That was yeah, good so problem. there's so I, you know, I don't as as a dad, I mean, I wanna make sure everything's good for my kids. But are we doing it to a detriment to themselves? Yes and I think yeah, the answers, yeah yes, yes we for are. sure yeah, it going is. on these calls
0: and the ones that I've seen and I would say you you know the degradation. I'm married yeah. I live with my wife. I got broke up. my wife can't deal with it, doesn't want me around the kids, you go home. Yeah, your parents don't—they hate the wife and the kids, not yeah. the kids, but they hate the wife for kicking you out, and not trying to work out your marriage. Because I'm trying to work it out, mom. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know, if she's a bitch. That's oh, yeah. all there I can say. She's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so then they go in the room and like I'm really sad today. I'm just gonna have a beer. You yeah. understand? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I, yeah. I got kicked out from my wife. Yeah, yeah. So then they sit there and they do their thing, and then the next thing you know, it's every day, and then I don't know what's wrong with my son. He won't wake up, and then I don't know what this little thing is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Why does he have aluminum foil? Yeah. Right. It, it ends up into this crazy tailspin, spin, but then the parents. I'm like, hey ma'am, like it's more than that, but we can't talk to the parents about it because they're adults. Yeah. And so you're like, I don't know, but let
1: me move the beer cans yeah. away from the unconscious patient. And try to they're, be they're, hemming, those are people just try to deal with their problems and so that's what i'm saying is if you feel like you need someone to talk to there's great resources all in on al anon usara which is a, a state run program for uh, substance abuse okay. uh, you know the uni hotline which is now the huntsman mental health hospital call them they can get you in there uh, there's recovery centers that take Medicaid, no charge. There's places like the Other Side Academy and the Red Barn, uh, I, but you've got to want it. You've got to want it. That's the only way recovery works. If you want it, if you're doing it for somebody else, it's not going to take. Yeah, you've got it. It's never. It's not because. you're But not I think doing recognizing right. it helps. Yeah, for the parents, the the idea that's frustrating. It's frustrating. And I can think. tell you right now, addicts who are in active addiction. For the most part, nobody's having a good time. I'm sure. Now, you know, the addicts was like. I mean, I heard it from my mom. Was like, "This is BS. You're out here partying all the time, and we're paying the price." And I wanted to go, but I didn't have the emotional vocabulary to tell her. It's like, "I'm not having fun, mom. I'm just trying to keep, keep a pulse. I'm trying to keep a pulse. <laughs> just trying to keep normal. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying not to drown." Yeah. And this is, seems to be the only thing that's working for me, and it's not working much anymore. But I, that's, I don't know any different. Yeah. But now I know I have the tool belt to to deal with problems. I meditate. I breathe. I work out. I I talk my problems out. I don't just uh, internalize everything. And that's the key is, is knowing who you are. And sometimes that's the scary part because you figure out who you are. That was mine. Yeah. Sitting in the car, hating myself.
0: My only friends that are flying, J tenant that I can talk into giving me a free shower. Yeah. I'm like, so what's up, Casey? Like, you know, I don't, I didn't have a hundred gallon tank, so I don't get the free shower today. And I, I don't have seven bucks. Yeah. Like, is there any way, like I have 30 gallons. Can you hook me up with a shower maybe? And they'd always do it. Yeah. Like bless their hearts. They'd always, there's good people out there. There's good people. So you know, I, I had to shower every day. Yeah. Right. That was my thing. But sure. As, as odd as that is, there's people want to help. You know what? Another word that's the most, and people have a tendency to forgive or forget it is help. I was telling my son, we were going down the fast lane. And this, he's got road rage slightly, a little bit like myself. Sure. And I'm going down the fast lane. This car comes over in front of me and then hits the brakes. I'm like, what the freak? Idaho plates, of course, of course. I mean, always, right? So hits the brakes. I'm like, ugh. And then Tayden, you could just see his little 19-year-old mind just go into freaking instant rage because they're so charged with testosterone. He's like, that freaking guy. He's like, just go in front of him and slam on your brakes, dad. It's a car and you're in a pickup. We'll put the hitch right through their freaking windshield. You know, I'm like right? Okay. And I'm like, I felt that, like, I felt like that's what I wanted to do. I'm like, all right, we'll just go around and you're, I'm in the carpool lane is what I was in. And I couldn't get around this guy. And then he's doing the speed limit. I'm like, dude, why did you come over when I was doing 80 speeding and he's just doing the speed limit? Well, I said, hey, watch this, Tayden. I says, now we get over. Let's say this. I go in front of him and I'm going to hit the brakes. And then now that guy's going to get raged. Yeah. And then he's going to come in front of me. And then we're going to be coming this little ping pong rage mess. Vicious cycle. Right. And so then we go off and then we're going to fight. Right. So let's take this exit. And I just tried to play this out. We're going to take this exit and I'm going to get out of my car. I'm going to grab his door. And he goes, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to smash his face in. I said, sure you are. Absolutely right. You're going to beat his head in. Right. just going to roll down his window and he looks at you and was like, Are you going to punch him? He goes, no. I go, what are you going to do? He goes, well, i got to find out what's wrong. I said, well, what if there's just something wrong? Like, just don't hate. But as soon as they say help, it'll turn your anger completely off from a guy you want to just beat his face in to like, what can I do for you? I will do anything on the planet for you with one word, help. Right? That'll change dynamics. And that's what you do in
1: recovery. You ask for help. Don't be afraid to say it. Yeah.
0: You're not weak. No. You're not weak. You know what? A stronger person will ask for help. So opposite a weak. Yep. Right. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. When you get older, like, and I think, what? How old are you? I'm forty-seven. So, 47. so we're the same. Yeah. August 9th is my birthday. January thirty. January thirty. So you're going to be old here yeah. in a little bit. Forty-eight. So. Yeah, forty. Hmm. and if would would like if you make it past that. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know that I was wondering at 47, let me get through it. But as you get older, you learn to appreciate all the things you don't know and all the things that you're not good at. And then what else I appreciate is all the things that you know and what you're good at. And the other thing I love is the fact that I have a number that I could call and say, Casey, I suck at this. Like, I know that I'm alpha and I know that I want to do this, at least in my heart. I'm alpha, right? But I, I just don't want to try as much. Why would I want to fail? I want you to come over here, teach me. I'm going to do it but i have a powerful phone number that can help me bridge the learning curves like we can become better faster if we use the leverage of people mm-hmm. right and, and and i don't mean use in a negative connotation i mean that in an absolute beneficial connotation because if somebody calls and says help me dude that's what i did for my whole life yeah. i'm on my way 2 3 in the morning if it's for work if it's for family if it's for sleep, if it's for shoes, I don't care. What what can I do? Mow yeah. your lawn? Yeah, I'll do it. Like. But you know what? We talked about this on an earlier podcast, too, that I think making someone else smile is really just kind of a
1: selfish act because yes. it makes me smile.
0: Oh, 100%. Right? 100%. I, I'm the one that's cheating. I'm giving, oh, oh, but yeah. I'm
1: really taking. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's <laughs> what I tell people all the time. I mean, I, I do enjoy making people laugh, but it's for my own gratification. <laughs> Amen. It's my own gratification. <laughs> I'll leave you with this. My buddy, uh, Rob Eastman, he's a great guy. You might know him. He was he went to Bountiful. Okay. Uh, Eastman family. Yes, the, I know. All Eastman's deep, Yeah. 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 And he's got this philosophy that he would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. So he wants to be prepared for everything. And so he just wants to make sure that you know what's coming down. That's crazy, huh? Yeah, you know what I mean? That's, I like that saying. Yeah. So it's better to be a, a, a warrior in a, in a garden, garden than a gardener, than a gardener in a war. a war.
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: And so we just need to talk. We need to educate. We need to communicate. And we need to love, and we
0: need to appreciate, yep. and we need to understand, and we need to respect, regardless if it's the homeless guy missing shoes, man. Yeah. It could be you next week, right? Just that fast. Very well. And so don't don't take for granted those people that are struggling and, and don't be afraid to ask for help for the people that think they're too strong for help no one's too strong for help Nope. we all need it and i i mean i just i'm thankful that you were you took the time here oh and, I love and it. come to visit i'll come anytime you want I love it I, and I honestly with all due respect i I love to see how how positive you've been able to change your life but everyone else that you interact with at the gym oh, counts you. on their smiles that you bring oh, every day thank you very much. so truly even though you may not know and as i was doing my gauges of like where's he, you were gone for a couple of days. I'm like, where's where's Casey? Is he okay? Because he never misses. I took seven girls to Mexico.
1: Oh, that's why. There I go. drove seven girls to Mexico. <laughs> you drove to Mexico. Yeah. Whoa, glutton for punishment. Yeah, I was like, whoa, that'll test your sobriety. <laughs> I test they're going to test me at the border. They're going, what are you doing, trafficking? I go, no, it's a senior trip. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I appreciate all you do. And, and uh, keep... I'll make sure I keep 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 you in check and you can keep me in check. Make sure I'm checking into the gym. I know you got a few things to get rid of Let's here. but it, brother. Casey, I really appreciate your time today and uh, look forward to many more days. All right. I love you. Thank you again. Brother. Love See you next. right back, my man. Thank you everybody for tuning in to Ninety Proof Wisdom Podcast. Hopefully there was a takeaway for you. If you like what we're doing or even our efforts, tell your friends about it. Let us know what we could do better. Again, thank you for listening to Ninety Proof Wisdom Podcast. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button.